Well, Merry Christmas. We are so glad that you're here. I wanna welcome you to Abundant Life Church and wanna welcome those of you in one of our overflow rooms. We are so glad that you guys are here and a part of this as well. And those who are watching or listening online or on podcast uh, from afar, we're glad that you're a part of this with us as well. Uh, my name is Jim, I'm the lead pastor here and it has just been an incredible year for us as a church and to get to close 2018 with you is truly special for us and uh, so much planning and preparing and praying has gone into these services. And, and we're just so grateful that you're here and that you're part of it with us. And, and so today we'd like to give you a gift, uh, at least for those of you who are uh, physically with us. Uh, we put together something that is a conversation I hear frequently at this time of the year. But uh, as you look ahead, maybe you're the type of person that sets goals or sets resolutions or, or has some thoughts of, yeah, there are some things that I'm gonna get around to this year that I've wanted to do. And, and if one of those is to read the Bible, uh, we wanna come alongside of you. And we just know that for a lot of people, uh, maybe you have never read the Bible, you've thought about it, maybe it's on your bucket list. Uh, we would love to partner with you as, uh, as your church and, and help you do this. And so uh, today as you exit, uh, we're gonna put this little plan in your hands and uh, we'd love to help you with a Bible reading plan that we've uh, developed for you. Now I wanna explain it because it's unique to any other plan that you've ever tried. What this is, is it's five bookmarks. And so it's designed to put five different spots in your Bible into, into a physical Bible. And each bookmark has a list of books. Now, each list of books go together, but there are different uh, amount of days that each of these uh, lists would take you. But you're, you're, all you're gonna do is gonna read one chapter out of each list every day. And so you're gonna go through the, uh, the whole Bible uh, in, in a variety of ways. And if you're doing the math, that means how many chapters a day? Five, it's not a trick question. Five chapters a day is all you do, one from each of these lists. And then you finish the list and you just start that list over. Now here's why I love this. This is the plan I personally use and I've, I've tried dozens of them over the years. This is the reason why I like this one. Is that there's usually two reasons why people give up on reading the Bible. The first reason is uh, maybe you started reading it and you were going well and then you got to like Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy and you gave up because you're like, what is this? It's confusing. And so now that's only a chapter out of your five in that day. And so you're not gonna get bogged down in a book that is from a very old culture that you may not understand. And, and so it keeps you with a, a, a bigger perspective of it. But also it keeps you from that, that tendency that we have where you fall a day behind then a couple days behind, then you're a week behind in a plan, and then you just go, I'm never catching up, and, and you abandon it. With this plan, uh, there is no end date. It just keeps going. You just keep reading through each of these lists, five chapters a day, and when you finish the list, you start back over. And, and so the goal here is not to check off a box, it's to create a habit of reading the Bible, of, of seeing God's word in this way, and so we wanna encourage you to do this. Now here's the fun thing. You could literally do this for the rest of your life, and you would never read the same five chapters in a day. It would always be unique. And so that's one of the reasons I love this plan is it gives me a unique perspective to read the Bible, and so we've made up uh, some nice, uh, sturdy bookmarks for you, and we'd encourage you, why don't you uh, try this with us, and then come back on the weekend as we dive into to the Bible together and as we study it. We'd love to encourage you to do that. Well, today we're talking about Christmas, and I don't know what you think of when you think of Christmas. I don't know what traditions or what things have to happen in your family, in your life, uh, before it feels like, like it's Christmas. For me, there's a number of things. I have to watch the movie Elf about a dozen times. 
Uh, and once that happens, it starts to feel like it, it's Christmas time. There's a book that I read every December. It's Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And I love this story, and I read it every year, and it starts to feel like Christmas. Then on Christmas Eve, uh, we get our kids in their pajamas, and we watch the best movie ad adaptation of A Christmas Carol, which is obviously A Muppet Christmas Carol. Come on, somebody. Everybody knows that. Uh, and so we watch that, and, and then all these things, you go, oh, it's, it's feeling like Christmas. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what things that you would put on your list. I wrote down a few that maybe would cover it for you. Maybe it's about family or lights or gifts or snow or food or trees or parties or any other word that you might add and go, this is what feels like Christmas to me. But today I'd like to add a word to that list that might not seem like it fits, but, but I submit to you that it's a word that belongs at Christmas. And that's the word disappointment. I may go, disappointment, that's it's not the word that I would add to this. And yet there's so much disappointment in Christmas. Now I can illustrate this for you in a number of ways. Did you know that many of the movies that you and I love, that you've probably watched the last week or two, many of these movies uh, were released to much disappointment. They were not released with much fanfare. And if you go back and read the reviews on them, it's a little bit surprising for us today. Like, out of curiosity, wherever you are, uh, show of hands, if you love the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Anybody? Okay. 1946, this was the review of It's a Wonderful Life. The weakness of this picture, from this reviewer's point of view, is the sentimentality of it. Um, no, I think that's why people love that movie, you know? It's like, you, you missed it, but that was the review of It's a Wonderful Life. How about A Christmas Story? Any fans of A Christmas Story? Okay, uh, here's the, the review of A Christmas Story. There are a number of small, unexpectedly funny moments in A Christmas Story, but you have to possess the stamina of a pearl diver to find them. <laughs> that escalated quickly. I don't know what happened there, but it's like, wow, I think you missed it on that movie. How about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Okay, brace yourselves, this one's not easy. The screenplay makes no pretense at being anything other than a disjointed collection of running gags. If it weren't for a calendar that marks the approach of Christmas Day, the film would have no forward momentum at all. The film also looks tacky. Yeah. It's like, who hurt you? Why are you so mad at this movie? I don't understand it. And finally, no list of Christmas movies would be complete without Die Hard. No, you guys aren't. You guys aren't Christmas Die Hard fans. Uh, here's, a, here's a review of Die Hard. Die Hard is exceedingly stupid, but Escape is fun. So there you go. Uh, but all these movies, you go, yeah, man, th those have like a, a lasting value. Those have uh, uh, so much appreciation today. And yet, when you go back and go, oh, people didn't initially see it. They were disappointed with those movies. But I would suggest that disappointment isn't just for Christmas movies. It's actually the context of the Christmas story. The story that we find in the pages 
of Scripture. And I'd like to, to tell that to you in three different stories today and, and invite you to listen in on those. Now, if you brought your Bible with you, we're gonna be in Luke chapter one and Matthew chapter one. And, and if you're a guest with us, you're going, well, what's going on? Uh, what we do here normally is we invite people to bring their Bible. Every week we use it here. Uh, we, we get out the passage and we read it together. And so if you came prepared for that with a physical Bible or a Bible app on a phone, I encourage you to get that out and read along. And if not, uh, please just listen in. I will read these passages for us uh, and you can hear it that way. I also wanna invite you, uh, if you see in the seat in front of you, uh, depending on where you're sitting, uh, there'll be a, a spot to take notes with and a little sheet there. And we'd love for you to write down some of these ideas and some of the things that God may be impressing um, upon you as we look at these passages together. Well, while you're opening up the, the Bible to those uh, passages, I wanna tell you a story about something that happened to us recently. We wanna take our kids out to look at Christmas lights. And for us, you know, uh, we, we've, we've traveled, you know, all different neighborhoods trying to find the really good lights. And, and sometimes you have to go pretty far to find that. But last year, we found this amazing house just really close to us. And so uh, this year we're like, we're gonna go right to this house, it's not far, and it's amazing. It's one of those houses that has its own radio station, they tell you to tune in, and it's a half hour show that you can watch, and like a lot of computers were involved in you know, whatever you see, and, and it just takes your breath away to watch what someone put together. And so the other night we drive in there and we've got our, our minivan loaded with our kids. And, and so uh, when we get there, there's a lot of other cars there. We're not the only ones that know about this house. And so I can't get a good spot. I have to park down the street a little bit at an angle. And so we watch about the first song or two in this position and we can kind of see it from afar. Well, after a little bit, the car in front of me uh, leaves so I can pull up and I can get a better spot. And, and so we end up right in front of the house and it's still a little close, but, but it was good. And so we watched it from there for a little bit. Then across the street, the primo spot opened up. And so I'm like, hold on, kids. And so I turn the van around, we get to the other side and I just put it in park. So I'm like, this is the coveted spot. Everybody wants the spot. We've got it. We're just gonna sit down and, and enjoy the show. And so we watch song after song and just are marveling at the, the complexity of these lights and all that it does. And after a while, I noticed that there's a guy who's been there the whole time, but I hadn't really noticed it because I was looking at the house, that across the street, there's a guy standing in, in the driveway and he's just watching the lights. And I'm thinking to myself, how good do your lights have to be for your neighbors to come out and stare at them? I mean, that's pretty impressive. But after a while, this guy comes up to my side of the vehicle and I'm thinking, oh, he's gonna ask me to leave because I've been here too long and I'm right in front of his house and I'm blocking it you know, from other people and so I'm bracing myself for that conversation and I roll down my window and he says, so, do you like my lights? And I said, that house is yours? And he goes, yeah. And I said, it's amazing. I had to roll the window down in the back for my kids to tell them how amazing they thought it was. And they're asking him all these questions. And, and we are just gushing on and on about how incredible his house is. But what surprised me was his reaction. All he said back was disappointment. Yeah, I was gonna add some new songs this year and I, I couldn't get around to that. And I was trying to do this one thing with, with this you know, panel and I, I couldn't get that to work out. And I had to spend way too much time on this. And, and all these things that, that he was telling me about, these expectations he had of what he wanted to do, and yet we didn't know that and we didn't see that and that wasn't our experience. But it reminded me that for a lot of us, that's what Christmas is about, that we have these expectations, these longings of this is what should happen. And if it doesn't, we're left with disappointment. 
And even as a kid, maybe you can remember a Christmas where you would ask for something and you were so set on it, but you never got it. And that creates that disappointment, that longing in you. And you go, yeah, that's part of Christmas. But as we'll see, it's actually much deeper than that. The, the disappointment is built into the original story of Christmas. And so I wanna illustrate this with three stories from the Bible. Story number one is a story about a woman named Mary. And Mary's story is found in Luke chapter one. If you do have a Bible and you wanna read along with me, that's where we're gonna be. And, and I invite you to, to listen in on this story. And perhaps you've heard this story numerous times by this point in your life, but I invite you to consider a few things about Mary that, that maybe you haven't thought of before. Here's what it says in Luke chapter one, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is gonna have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now, if you've heard this story before, here's the, the part of it I want you to notice that maybe you've never stopped to notice, that, that God, in, in all of the power and all of the sovereignty that he has, God asks for Mary's consent. That, that God comes to Mary and says, hey, are you okay with this? Notice what you don't read about. You don't read about Gabriel coming to Mary and going, Mary, guess what? You're pregnant! It's not the story. No, Gabriel's like, hey, Mary, guess what? God wants to do something incredible in your life. But he doesn't force it on her. He invites her into the story. Mary, would you be on board with this? Would you be okay with this as your story? And Mary has a huge decision to weigh. It is, does she go along with this very unexpected story that an angel of the Lord has just presented to her? And so the reason why we celebrate and remember Mary today is because of her reaction in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. That is an incredible response. Now it's easy for us to fast forward and go, well, of course that's her response. She gets to do something unbelievable. Who wouldn't have chosen that? But I want you to put yourself in Mary's shoes. See, at this point in her life, Mary's got some things figured out. She's got some things put in motion. She has found the man of her dreams. They have set a date. They have booked a venue. She has bought the dress. They have sent the invitations. I mean, everything is already in motion. And God shows up and says, it's not gonna be that story. Hey, Mary, I know all this planning that you've done, but it's, it's gonna be something else. And so Mary realizes if she agrees to God's story, that it will totally negate her story. 
And this is the decision she has to make. But it's even more than that. See, if you think about it, joy to the world meant shame for Mary. For us to celebrate the joy of Christmas that we get to celebrate today does not happen until after Mary experienced shame. Can you imagine being a young woman who's pregnant and you can't point to a physical father? And when people ask, well, how did this happen? You say, God did it. How many people would believe that story? How many people believed Mary? How many people didn't believe Mary? See, what you've got to realize is for probably the majority of Mary's life, this was a story of disappointment. This was a story that was not the story she had envisioned, not the story she had chosen, not the story she had wanted. But she realized God was doing something bigger. And so she chose to be a part of it in the midst of her disappointment. The second story I'd like to tell you is a story about a guy named Joseph. And you can find this story in Matthew chapter one if you've got your spot there. And, and again, you see a very similar conversation that, that Joseph has because he's got a way through a very similar uh, situation for himself. Matthew chapter one, verse 18. says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they could come together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and it did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until uh, she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, again, it's tempting from our point of view to fast forward and go, so cool that Joseph got to experience this. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He finds out what no engaged man ever wants to learn. Hey, you know this woman that you haven't been with yet that is is pledged to be married to you, that you're planning on spending the rest of your life with? Guess what? She's pregnant. You're not the dad. Imagine that news. Imagine what that changes about Joseph's plans for his life. And so Joseph's got at least three options he's weighing through as he figures out, what do I do now in light of what I've just learned? And option number one would be that he could abandon Mary. Now, he doesn't choose this option, but that doesn't mean he didn't at least consider it. And here's why. All Joseph has to do to clear his reputation is to ruin hers. Just think about that. All he's got to do, he can wipe his hands clean of this story. He can walk away and say, look, I don't know what she's up to. That doesn't make any sense to me either. And he can leave Mary. Sounds like a lot of divorces that we see today. And Joseph knows he can make himself look good if he makes Mary look bad. But we learn something about Joseph in this text in verse 19 that Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. That might not make a lot of sense to you or might not seem important, but in Greek, the word faithful there is the word dikaios, 
which is a loaded word. That word can be translated as innocent, holy, or full of character. See, Joseph was the kind of guy that had spent his entire life building a reputation. He was known as a man of character, which means he had more to lose. That all the years he had worked on building this character, this reputation, would all be lost in a moment if he went along with this story. And so Joseph is weighing this through. But he knows what, what we know as well, that usually when we defend ourselves, it comes at the cost of someone else. And so Joseph decides, you know what? I'm not going to make myself look good at Mary's expense. So he chooses option number two, as the text says it, to divorce her quietly. This is a, a solution. He's put his head together to go, okay, all right, Mary, let's figure this out. We'll just, we'll just you know, do this and that, and, and we can figure out these logistics. Now, I can imagine them sitting down to have a conversation. All right, Mary, here's the deal. Um, how about you take little Jesus at Christmas, I'll get him at Easter, I'll even let you keep the donkey, Mary. You know, like they're, they're just figuring this out. They're trying to be civil about it, but he knows this story's not gonna work and I'm not gonna be with you anymore, but, but I don't wanna hurt you in the process. Except God shows up to Joseph and says, hey, Joe, I need you here. I, I need you to, to be with Mary because uh, she's not lying to you. I know it's hard to believe, but what she's telling you is true. So Joseph chooses option number three. He chooses to stand with Mary. And that means he gets her shame. He gets her disappointment. That all of the baggage of that story that she had already consented to, he gets to choose as well. And this is not the way he had envisioned his life. He's now gonna raise a son that is not his own biological son. These are things that he never envisioned for himself. And yet this is the story both of them choose. Now, when you see the Christmas story from the perspective of Mary and Joseph, what you find is God meeting us in disappointment. If you think the Christmas story is just a story about God trying to make us all a little bit more polite, you have missed the profound nature of what God is doing. See, God is, is turning things upside down. And when you see it, you, you begin to ask some questions of ourselves, because we look at this story and go, well, does God still wanna do that today? Does God still work like that today in, in our lives? And so I wanna ask you a question that I, I think is a, a, a bit of an intense question, but it's a question that's very relative to this passage that we've just seen. Does God have your permission to ruin your reputation? That's a weird question, I know, but I want you to think about, it. does God have your permission to go, hey, I'm gonna mess your plans up. I, I'm gonna show up and what you think is gonna happen, I'm gonna go a different direction. Would you agree to that? Because if Mary and Joseph had not said yes to this, we would not be telling their story today. Because they embraced their own disappointment, they allowed God to show up in the midst of it. God did something incredible. How much disappointment in your life is God able to be a part of? How, how much do you willingly invite him into? Or do you say, no, 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 not, not this. I, I, I'll give you something else. I want you to think about what would it have been like for Jesus to grow up with parents like Mary and Joseph? Now, the absurdity of Christmas is that this all-powerful, divine, infinite God became human, took on human qualities, had a human experience which means that 
Jesus would have experienced what we would experience if this were our story, which causes me to ask a few questions. I wonder, when Jesus was growing up, what kind of things were said about his mother, Mary? I don't know, what do we say about women today who can't even identify who the father of their child is? But what kind of things would have been said about Mary that Jesus would have heard as a kid? What kind of jokes would have been made about his dad, Joseph, for choosing a woman like Mary, for believing Mary's story, for raising a son like Jesus who wasn't his own? What kind of things would have been said to Jesus on the playground by the other kids who couldn't make sense out of his story because nothing else sounded like that story? And how would this have shaped the humanity of Jesus as he grew up? You see, this is what's so amazing is that Jesus knew disappointment up close and personal. It was his story as well. Now, all of this leads us to the third story I wanna tell today, which is our story. See, if you read the Christmas story and you read it as a cute story about a long time ago, you miss the power of this story. That the Christmas story doesn't really mean much unless we realize how it affects our story today. And so as I set this one up, I wanna read one final passage to you, but I wanna prep you because this is going to be unexpected. Uh, you came to a Christmas service called Unexpected. Hopefully you were, you know, were prepared for this. I'm gonna throw two twists at you. Uh, here's the first of them. I wanna read a passage that I would suspect you have never heard preached in a Christmas service in your life, okay? And I don't care how many years you've been going to church. Uh, this is gonna be a bizarre one, but I want you to consider uh, a story as we figure out what does Christmas mean for us that may not uh, seem like an obvious story to you. But as we consider our story, I wanna read to you John chapter eight. And in John chapter eight, Jesus is, is grown up. Uh, he's in his early 30s by this point. He's doing ministry. And, and something incredible happens one day that I think has profound implications for us. Here's what it says in John chapter eight, verse two. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, uh, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. If you've ever wondered where that expression came from, this is the story. Again, he stooped down, wrote on the ground, and at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Why am I reading that story on Christmas? That doesn't seem like a Christmas story. See, it would be understated to say that this moment was the worst, biggest disappointment of this woman's 
life. Not only is her reputation shattered from this moment on, but her life may be about to come to an end as this group of religious leaders, these guys, are all sitting there holding rocks ready to kill her. And all of it hinges on what this rabbi named Jesus does next. Now she's heard about Jesus. She's heard that some people say he's God himself, but she knows whatever he does next will determine her fate. She also knows that they're using her as a trap to get him. And in order to take him down, she will be the collateral damage. But she cannot envision any possibility to this story ending in a good way. Every possible outcome is bad. And so she stands there before them, vulnerable and accused in the very worst situation she could ever imagine. And there's no hope of it getting better. Except Jesus does something bizarre, something unexpected, something no one would have saw coming. And he takes the worst day in this woman's life and turns it into the most profound moment of her future because Jesus can resonate with her disappointment. Now I wanna ask a couple questions. In light of the Christmas story, is it possible that as Jesus sat there listening to the things that were said about this woman, that he remembered things that were said about his mother, Mary. Is it possible that as he considered what he could do next, he thought about his own dad, Joseph, and the options that Joseph had before him when he ultimately decided to stand with his mother? That Jesus intimately knew the kind of disappointment that this woman was dealing with. And so in reality, as a result of all of this, we don't know what he was thinking. Jesus decides to meet her in the very worst moment, in the very worst disappointment, and he takes bad news and turns it into good news. He takes a story that had no happy ending and he turns it into the most profound uh, solution they could have ever envisioned and blows everyone away. And this is the unexpected message of Christmas. Now, the challenge with this is that we see a story like this, we're like, yeah, that's cool that Jesus did that one time, or that's cool that God is with us now. It doesn't change much for us. And we just don't see this story. It doesn't seem like a very unexpected story to us anymore because we've gotten so used to this story. But the reality is that this is a story that should cause us to go, wait, what? God did what? Jesus is doing what? This makes no sense. And yet it's often not the reaction that we have to the story. Now, as I was working on my notes for this, I, I was thinking, I don't know how to communicate that. I don't know how to communicate the type of reaction that we should have to this story because we don't have it. It's a familiar story for so many of us. We just don't have that same reaction. So one night I was in our kitchen and I saw on the TV, my wife was watching a show and it's not a show we normally watch, but on the TV was something that was so unexpected, I stopped everything that I was doing to watch what happened next. Then I got an idea that I have to show you this same clip because this is what it looks like when something is unexpected. Now I wanna brace you for this because this is the second unexpected twist that I told you about uh, that I'm gonna give you today. And, and this is not what you ever thought you were gonna see at a Christmas service at a church. Uh, if you have kids with you today, they are going to love this video. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to notice 
the reaction that you have when you watch this. And some of you are gonna have a physical reaction. I want you to notice what is going on as you watch something that is unexpected. Check this out. <laughs> You're welcome. That's all I wanna say to that. Uh, now, here's the deal. That video gets worse if you keep watching it. The next thing he puts on the tree is glitter, okay? I don't understand what's happening, how that is possible. But here's what I want you to think about. If you're going, why on earth are we watching this video? That is the unexpected reaction you have when you go, how does the regurgitator, that's his name, how does the regurgitator do that? That is so bizarre. But here's the deal. That's a, that's a cheap little trick to entertain people. We should have a physical reaction when we realize, wait, God is with us God is showing up here. It should cause us to stop and go, this changes everything. You see, Christmas is about God turning disappointment into good news. Come on, somebody. This is a story that you go, wait, wait, wait. God showed up at our worst moment, at our lowest point, when we were broken and things were not good. God doesn't tell you, hey, hey, when you get your act together, when you clean things up, when you stop that addiction that you have, when you stop that one habit that you keep doing, when you, you, know, when you stop doing all those things and you start being better, then come to me, then I'll be with you. No, 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 Christmas is the unexpected twist that in the worst moment when you think, God can't even stand me, God says, I am here with you. And this is Christmas. You go, that is some good news. And the reality is when you see that kind of a Christmas, it changes the way you see the world. It changes the way you, you expect God to show up in the here and now, this is not just a cute story of what God did 2,000 years ago. This is a profound story of how God unexpectedly shows up. Let me read the way one author says it. Carlos Rodriguez says this. Christmas is about believing what a woman said about her sex life. Christmas is about a family finding safety as asylum seekers. Christmas is about a child in need receiving support from the wealthy. Christmas is about God identifying with the marginalized, not the powerful. If that's not an unexpected twist to the story, you're not paying attention. This is a story that defies what we would expect to happen. Why would God do it like that? And this is the incredible story of Christmas, which is why we sing songs like O Holy Night that have this line, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Why does a weary world rejoice? Because Christmas is about God turning disappointment, bad news into good news. God showing up when you think this is hopeless, this is beyond repair, this is irredeemable. And God says, well, watch what I do next. And so I wanna ask each of us a simple question as we wrestle with what does this Christmas story mean for us today? Here's the question. What could Jesus do with the biggest disappointment in your life? If you expected that Jesus would show up there, not just once you're healed, not once you've moved past it, not once everything is good and figured out, but if you expected Jesus to show up precisely in your disappointment, what could he do? What good news would he bring to you?
Now, this might be a disappointment from years ago. And, and, and in your strong moments, you think, I'm, I'm past that. I don't deal with that anymore. But when you're honest and you're vulnerable and you're quiet, you realize that still is lingering there. Or maybe it's something you brought in with you today. You're going, no, this is my story right now. I, I'm living out a disappointment. The reality is that Jesus is meeting you there and he's providing you with good news. And I think the way he wants to do it is to give you good news that changes you, that alters the way you see things, and then you want other people to experience the same thing you experienced, which is why we have a mission statement as a church. We are giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. We want each person to experience the good news that God has for us and then invite others into the same. As the author Eugene Cho says it, if the God of the universe was born in a dirty, messy manger, there is no mess or brokenness in our lives that God is not willing to step into. There's nothing that God's not willing to step into. And so I wanna do something as we close out this part of our service that may be a little bit different for you and, and if you'll just humor me, I wanna invite you to wherever you are, just bow your head, close your eyes. And, and here's something I just want you to consider that the, the person we have been reading about, this baby born Emmanuel, that God is with us, that that Jesus is with us right now in this moment. That Jesus is aware of your heart, aware of your thoughts, aware of your presence, aware of your disappointment and your story. And Jesus would love nothing more than to meet you in that story. So I'm gonna give you just a little bit of space to pray something that maybe you've never prayed before. Maybe you don't even know if you think God exists. But I invite you just to pray that Jesus would show up, that you would see him in the midst of a disappointment in your life, and that he would show you the good news that he has for you. And then in just a moment, I'll close this in prayer. Jesus, we ask that you'd give us the ability to see you. To see that the story of Christmas, that you are with us. But it wasn't a one-time event. That you are with us right here. Not someday you will be with us. Not if we do enough, you'll be with us. But you meet us here. It's the incredible story of Christmas. That when we least expect it, you show up and you bring a message of hope, a message of good news to those who need it. And so our prayer today, wherever we are gathered, that we would experience your good news. We would experience your hope. We would learn to invite you into areas that seem like they, they have no other outcome 
and invite you to do like you did in John 8, something that is so unexpected. God, we are in need of some good news. And we have a story that tells us that you are offering it to each and every one of us. So may this Christmas not be a reflection on a story long ago, but may the power of Christmas live on in us as we experience you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.